Welcome to the Dietitian's Dish Podcast. We are Gina and Nicole, two dietitian mamas and good friends living in Ohio and Michigan. This is a podcast dedicated to making whole family wellness more fun and less stressful. Whether you're listening in the car or slumped on the couch with a glass of wine, welcome. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us. I'm Gina. And I'm Nicole. And today we are dishing about food sustainability, everything from composting to more sustainable protein options to beyond meat, starting in our kitchens and in our homes. And what can we do to live more sustainably? But first, as always, Nicole, let's do some catching up. What's new? Uh, college basketball gearing up for March Madness. Nice. Are we going to do a bracket? Are you going to do a bracket? Oh, yeah, for sure. I will do a bracket. I do one at work every single year. And sometimes with Nick's friends, I do one as well. Um, do you want to do one with me, you, Nick, and Mark? Yeah. Is yes. that what you're saying? Yeah, okay. let's do it. <laughs> we, do, we should do it for sure. Okay. We should put some money on it too. Make well, it fun. FYI, Make it OSU. Um, Illinois has, per the uh, announcers, a pretty good shot at, at winning the Big Ten tournament. They, they, are, really? they are a possible Final Four team. Best, best okay. I hear. We'll see. Good. We'll see. We're not we even need some competition. Right now, That's but, great. Oh my gosh. I actually think we play you guys coming up. Um, no, yeah. don't quote me on that. Our, Maybe not. I mean, our basketball team is not as as excellent as our football team. Um, we've I think we've done average this year. So that'll you, be a good game. You're middle of the pack for sure. We're we're yeah, top we're definitely. top of the pack, you know. Um nice. you know, double by in the uh, Big Ten tournament. Not that it matters at all that Illinois is better than Ohio State at basketball, but um whatever. It's <laughs> Just I'll let you have that. That's NCAA fair. sports. No problem. Um, <laughs> oh, and then my other random update. So it's coronavirus time. You know, I have no idea. We're recording this a little bit ahead. I have no idea what the status will be in a um, couple weeks. But Mark was supposed to travel three weeks in March, but it was all canceled due to coronavirus. So now there's no chance mm-hmm. of me catching up on The Bachelor. Um, I know. So instead I had purchased a thousand piece puzzle and he's like, Nicole, you cannot do that thing until I'm gone because I get obsessed. I cannot leave them alone. And the last one I did the donut puzzle, he was, he was just not happy with me. So I was like, okay, when you travel, I'm going to do it. And then all his travel got canceled. So I started it Friday and I'm like, I'm almost done with it. Like I'm tempted to stay up and just finish it tonight. I can't even believe you can do that so fast. How? Yeah. What, what in the world? Do you sit there with a cup of espresso? He's, I mean, how do you? I don't know. Like, I think I'm actually really good at puzzles because Friday night, the girls had a birthday party, 6 to 8 p.m. I didn't start it until like 4.30 because I worked all day. So I started at 4.30. We went to this party. I don't even remember working on it much after the party. But and then on Saturday, I was gone all day playing hockey, like literally left the house at 11.30 and did not get home until 10. And mm-hmm. then Sunday, I was in the urgent care and stuff with Piper. Like we were busy. I didn't even start working on it for the day until 4.30. And now it's Monday and I'm almost done with it. Wow. That's, and that's I had hockey really last impressive. night. I, yeah. I, I don't know how you do it. You must be good at puzzles, clearly. I am uh, I get obsessed though. Like I am in the zone. I'm like, child, I'm busy. Like you're going to have to do that yourself. <laughs> that's great. So I assume Piper's arm is okay. Piper's arm is okay. Yes. She, they uh, they got into a little sister scuffle. Um, and I, apparently oh. there was some arm pulling and Piper's my tough one. And I didn't think too much of it when she said her arm was hurting. And so we kind of moseyed on with the morning and three hours later, like her arm is still glued to her chest. Like she will not use her right arm. And I'm like, crap, here we go. 
So we go to the urgent care and the PA was awesome. She kind of manipulated it around. And I mean, there was no whining, no fussing, no nothing. And then all of a sudden she was like, can I have my tablet? And she was using her arm and the PA was like, well, maybe we should x-ray it just to be sure that everything's good. So they did. And we were, we were in and out in like an hour and everything was clear. It was dislocated. Oh, okay. So, so I took her out for ice cream mean? and I have no idea. Does that she mean said it's, it's going to be okay? Yeah. She said it's very common in ages like one, like zero to four, one to four. Um, mm-hmm. And she said it is very like painful. Like if you try and move it when it's dislocated and that's why they just go to not using it. But she kind of showed me how to like manipulate it back in should that ever happen again. And this actually happened before one time. So Piper oh. has had an ER visit and an urgent care visit both for the same thing. And I am too stupid to figure out how to like what that means. But because no, I didn't you, see what happened with Shay. So I wasn't sure. I mean, it could have been broken, right? Mm-hmm. Like, cause she kept pointing to her yeah. forearm. Um, anyway, so that was our update. It's always better to be safe than sorry, no matter what. Totally. What's going on with you? So as far as my updates are concerned, I really do not have much going on here. Uh, other than just kind of a new thing that's happening with Paige lately. And I, I want to know if Shay has been doing this. So the other, so for the longest time, I mean, literally since I think Paige was probably one year old, I've been pushing her on my runs in this little blue car. You've probably all seen them. You know, it's like a little car, it's either blue or pink or yellow, whatever color it is with a handle, big wheels, and you can just push it. They're not really meant for running, but I've always found it to be super easy to push and run with. In fact, I've never had a running stroller. I had one, but hated it. So I always use this. Of course, when she was one, two, three, it was fine. Here she is five. She's petite, so she still fits in it. It's actually the bigger version of it. There's two different sizes. So I, I had the bigger version of it. So she still fits in it just fine. But the other day I was like, do you want to come on a run with me? You can sit in the blue car. And she goes, mom, I don't want to be seen in that blue car. I'm embarrassed. <laughs> and I'm like, isn't this a little bit too young to be starting the I'm being I'm embarrassed, you know, uh, saga. I feel like I didn't have that sense of embarrassment around people until maybe middle school. So I, I hope it's not a sign of things to come, but I have a feeling it is. And so I put her in the car. She, she agreed to go with me. Uh, it was cold. So she had a jacket on and I had a jacket on. As I kept running, I got warm. So I gave her my jacket too, because she started to get cold because she wasn't moving. And we went by this giant park with tons of people. She goes, mom, don't go this way. People can see me. <laughs> like, Paige, you know, nobody here. And she's just, I know, I just don't want to be seen in the blue Aww. car. <laughs> I mean, she funny. wasn't, she was, you know, she wasn't really distraught by it. But just the fact that she said it, I mean, she's definitely thinking about it. So your kids haven't said anything like that. Like I'm embarrassed to do X, Y, Z. No, and I'll cry if they do. My old, I, I remember when my brother, my mom used to get us, drop us off at school and get us out of the car and all of our backpacks would be in the trunk. And my, she would always kiss us goodbye. And my brother was like, mom, you can kiss me, but it has to be from like behind the trunk. Like you can't pull <laughs> up too far and it has to be behind the trunk. And I, my mom still tells that story. Like it broke her heart. Yeah. Poor parents. Well, she still lets me kiss her. I mean, I do, I do things that I would, that are more embarrassing to her around people than driving in a blue car. Uh, so I don't know what her idea of embarrassment is. If that's what embarrasses her, it's all, you know, noted, I guess. But yeah, she still lets me kiss her goodbye and hug her and snatch her up at, at kindergarten. So I guess that's good. <laughs> all <funny>. right. <laughs> all right. So before we go into the interview that you have today, we're just gonna, I'm, I'm really excited about this. Actually, we actually have a sponsor for today's episode. 
Um, so today's episode is brought to you by Lindsay, also known as the Lean Green Bean. Lindsay has a fantastic Instagram that you will um, that you actually just have to follow. I've been following it for years. It's just it's really amazing. And of course, her website is full of great recipes that are simple, which is my favorite, and incredibly balanced. She is a dietitian. Um, they're also incredibly kid friendly. Lindsay has three kids of her own. Recently, Lindsay created a program called the Dinner Spark. The Dinner Spark is, compre- is a comprehensive guide designed to pull you out of your meal planning rut. And I know we all have them. Um, it's designed to provide you with lots of inspiration and make dinner time exciting again. You get links to hundreds of meal ideas, ideas for ways to use food that you prep on the weekend, ways to spin your family favorites into new meals, simple sauce recipes to jazz up your favorite proteins, which I know I could use and no recipe meal ideas for busy nights. Plus, for the next three months after you per- your purchase, you'll get a weekly email with even more dinner inspiration, including two to three ingredients you could prep on the weekend and three recipes you could use them in. So it's only $45, which I feel like is a deal. Um, but actually, if you use the code BONUS, that's B-O-N-U-S, you get $15 off that $45 price. So that's an incredible deal. Learn more at theleangreenbean.com slash the-dinner-spark, and we will put that link in the show notes. All right. Thank you, Lindsay. And let's do a little introduction of our topic today. Yes. So today with us is Kelly. She is a hockey player. She plays in my hockey league, and she is an engineer at a nuclear power plant here in Southwest Michigan. And basically, she is just super interested in sustainability and started her own podcast called Sustainability Me. And uh, she's going to talk a bit more about that. But yeah, I think without further ado, we can hop right into the interview. Kelly, welcome to Dietitian's Dish Podcast. Uh, you are the first female hockey player guest we've had on the show. So welcome. And I get to see you most weeks in the in the ladies' locker room at the rink. Uh, and interesting fact about Kelly and I, we both have husbands who play hockey too. That's correct. <laughs> so you're, I would say you're a better player than Jason. Is that fair to say? I would say so. Yeah. I and, mean, he doesn't like to hear that, but it's, it's, it's facts. Because <laughs> <laughs> women rule. Um, exactly. Mark had a hat trick this week. Uh, but I think you and I, there's maybe one other couple ho- that plays hockey together. But we're kind okay. of like this yeah, elite sure. group of of couple playing couples that play hockey. It's really cool. I think so. Yeah, it's super cool because I didn't start playing hockey until just like a couple years ago now. And it's amazing. I'm so happy I dove into it even at a later age. I know I kind of hate you for it because you're so good and I've been playing oh, forever. <laughs> oh, you would kick my butt. You do I, kick I my butt. I don't think so. You've you've got the skills I'm trying to pick up. No, totally. You're you're killing it out there and it's so <laughs> well, fun. Thanks. And I was trying to remember how I figured out that you had a podcast to begin with. I think it was from Facebook that you posted something. Does that sound right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm a little newer. I guess actually maybe not so new. It's been almost a year. Uh, started off on Earth Day in April last year. So, yeah. Well, I love your show um, and I want you to tell us a bit about it, but it's called Sustainability Me. And uh, yeah, so tell us a little bit about your day job. Tell us a bit about your show and your vision in starting it. Yeah, so I'm an engineer at uh, the nuclear power plant in town. It's DC Cook Nuclear Power Plant. And 
I've always had a passion for the environment and sustainability. Um, and there's been a lot of doom and gloom, I feel like, in the news, especially related to the environment. And I was just kind of sick of hearing that. And so I wanted to showcase some of the good things that people are doing in hopes of inspiring others to try and change their ways to better themselves and the environment. So that's really what kicked it off. And I really want to keep it neutral. So no matter what political view you have, because sometimes, you know, the environment stuff can be politicized, um, you know, everyone can learn something. And whether you want to minimize emissions or minimize your waste, there's something for everyone to do. So I basically showcase a cool thing that either a company, a group, or an individual is doing related to the environment. And then in each episode, I try to provide a tip that the average person could try implementing in their own lives. So yeah, it's been a lot of fun so far. I love it. I was listening just this week. Uh, your One of your most recent episodes was on electric vehicles. And yeah. I don't know if you know this, but Mark has a Tesla. He was an early adopter of um, oh my God. Yes. That was, he, I couldn't hear about Tesla anymore. It, he's had his car <laughs> for a couple years and he was just so obsessed with just the whole concept. I mean, he has a yeah. total man crush on Elon Musk and <laughs> he, I was, I just couldn't hear about it anymore. He would uh, just research Tesla. I, he is just obsessed with the technology and everything that they're doing. Um, I only wish we had bought stock way back when. Oh my God. Me too. <laughs> yes. Us and everyone else, right? Uh, exactly. But I didn't think I would learn a whole lot about electric vehicles. And I I listened to your episode and I was like, oh my gosh, I just learned so much. And I wouldn't say that I have, I, that sounds really bad, but I don't, I haven't had a lot of exposure to just the, just sustainability in general. And I, and yet I find your podcast absolutely fascinating. So I encourage everyone to check yeah. it out. But I think what got me thinking about having you as a guest on our show followed my personal favorite episode of yours on it was titled the problem with food waste and that aired back in October but in that yeah. episode um I learned that we waste 165 billion dollars in food every year that the average american throws away 40% of the food that they buy on account of forgetting what they have on hand and or just not knowing what to do with the food they have and that reducing food waste is the third best way to reduce climate change yeah, it's crazy. My mind was blown. I, I'm a dietitian. Like I work with food all day, and I had no idea the scale at which. Yeah, I d I didn't realize it either till I interviewed this person. It was amazing. I, you got to check out Kelly's show. It's just awesome. So. <laughs> Kind of jumping into questions in your podcast, you know, I learned that food waste and other organic materials such as yard clippings and, and that type of stuff make up the majority of landfill space. Again, total news to me. And that that anaerobic breakdown of these items in landfills is what creates methane gas and that that's 30 times more damaging than CO2 emissions. Never would have known. So is composting a way to improve this issue? And if so, can you kind of speak to some composting basics that our listeners may be able to put into practice at home? Yeah, for sure. So we usually think of CO2 being the big bad greenhouse gas since that's often talked about most in the news. But you are right. Methane is 30 times worse as a heat trapping gas. And so composting is a great way to prevent methane production from a landfill because like you mentioned, it's aerobic. So that means oxygen is involved and CO2 is produced where landfills, that's anaerobic. So there's no oxygen and that produces methane. So 
another little plug for my podcast. I've got an <laughs> episode coming up soon that's actually about composting from a high level. So if people are interested in more information, just stay tuned for that. Um, but big picture, there are different types of composting that you could try. Uh, there's the tumbler that a lot of people see. You can buy them at Home Depot or Lowe's. You can build your own compost area. We've got friends who recently built their own with just wood and chicken wire, and that's worked out great for them. And then I've even heard about worm composting, which I don't know how I would feel about having worms in the house, but <laughs> people do that. And I think it's a good option, especially for those who don't have their own yard or live in an apartment. Um, so there's so many options for people to check out. And <laughs> from what I've heard, it's definitely a learning process. And the big thing to remember is that you have to balance your greens and browns. So recently I learned that the greens are the food waste and the lawn clippings and your browns are your yard waste like leaves. And you just have to find the right balance. So a lot of people complain about the smell. And to be honest, that was like my big fear of getting into composting. And just because I have a very small yard and I really don't want to stink out my neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so the people I interviewed, they talked about just for every handful of um, food waste from their kitchen or whatever, they would put some, like a handful of leaves in the pile and they have zero smell and they basically have it down to a science. So there's so many other things that you can do to figure out like what's going on with your compost. There's so many troubleshooting tips online. Um, but like I said, it's a learning process and most people who take the time to learn it and figure it out, they end up loving it. So to be honest, I haven't started mine yet, but I'm going to do that once winter is over. I, I love the idea of that just for so many reasons. One, it would really just showcase how much food is being wasted, potentially, if you're putting oh, yeah. it into compost rather than, you know, just bits here and there into the trash. It would really just just shine a light on on what's going on as far as food waste in your home. And oh, also, sure. I don't know about you guys, but the amount of trash that we produce is embarrassing. It's it's shameful, honestly. And oh, yeah. if we could reduce that in any way by composting, that would be an attractive. I mean, that that's certainly a, a driver for me. Right. Well, and think about the times maybe you take your trash out before it's even filled all the way because the food is starting to smell, mm -hmm. you know, like you can completely mitigate that. You might not even empty your trash out in a week. So there's like a lot of cool things that could happen from composting. Just imagine if our little corner of the world would do recycling on a weekly basis. <laughs> right. <laughs> Instead of, every, yeah, I feel like we're so behind, you know, the Pacific know. Northwest and, and just all the coastal areas that are so much more progressive with this kind of thing. But that's probably... Yeah a topic for a whole nother day. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> right. um, that's really interesting on composting. So in the nutrition world, because you know I'm a dietitian, we yeah. are seeing a huge shift right now towards a more plant-based diet. Can you speak to how this affects the sustainability of food production in general? Yeah. So with, you know, when we hear about meat production, so many more resources go into that. So animals like cows, chickens, pigs, whatever, they require a lot of land, energy, water, and food, which then requires more land, energy, and water. <laughs> and so um, 
I actually found this graph from the University of Oxford, and they said that beef emits about 50 kilograms of CO2 per 100 grams of protein. Poultry emits about 6 kilograms of CO2 per 100 grams of protein. And grains emit less than 3 kilograms of CO2 per 100 grams of protein. I got maybe a little technical there, but that just shows that with the same amount of protein, meat is way higher than, you know, well, I just talked about grains here, but even um, more plant-based foods. So there's a lot there. And a lot of people, I don't know if you've heard about the Beyond Meat or the Impossible Burger. Yeah. Um, So that's that's kind of a game changer, too, because a lot of people, I don't think you're going to convince all Americans to give up their burger. And if you're looking to reduce your emissions, this is a great way to do it while still having a burger. So it's there's definitely a shift and it's impacting sustainability in a good way. Mm-hmm. Did you say cows were 50 Yeah, beef emits 50 kilograms of CO2 per 100 grams of protein. And chicken was six. Yeah, poultry. Poultry. So interesting. I, okay. Well, in addition to being lower in saturated fat, chicken is also, poultry is much more sustainable then. Oh, yeah. That's a fair statement then. Oh, yeah. My brother and I were just talking about it. He's not really like super into sustainability stuff. And so he's been learning a lot from my podcast as well. But, He's like, well, I don't really eat beef. I eat more chicken. I'm like, well, that's good. That's better as far as emissions go. Almost 10 times better. Exactly. So there's a lot of different choices. And at the end of the day, it's all about balance and doing what's best for you as well. Um, Small choices can make a big difference. That is so interesting. So you kind of answered my next question, which is for those who choose to consume meat or seafood, which sources are more sustainable? So poultry, it sounds like. Are there any other proteins that come to mind? Um, you know, well, that's definitely good. Um, I guess, you know, I'm not an expert on this. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure exactly what's best as far as getting your protein and what's like least amount of emissions and what is least amount of, um, you know, water and energy and all of that. There's so many different things you can talk about. I mean, even going from milk, which I think I'm was thinking about for a a later thing. Um, You know, a lot of people talk about almond milk and that's great as far as an emission standpoint, but a lot of almonds grow in California, for example, and almonds require a lot of water to grow. And when you think of California, do you really think of water? I don't because they think uh, they they pretty much are in a drought. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. that's another thing to think about when you're talking sustainability. Yeah, but yeah. But you did mention um, for like consuming meat and seafood, like which sources are more sustainable. There's other aspects to it than just emissions. Um, one thing I was thinking about was just shopping locally. So this helps helps to limit purchases from concentrated farm feeding operations. I've had friends talk about these documentaries on Netflix where these huge operations have such bad reputations for how the animals are treated or how they're polluting the water and the air around these farms. So by shopping more locally with your local farmers, you can avoid a lot of that. Um, Another thing that I try to look for are some of the labels. If you're just going in the grocery store, there's things like the Global Animal Partnership or the Certified Humane 
Um, these are basically third party audits that promote animal welfare. And, you know, a lot of people talk about free range and you probably see that maybe like on your eggs or what if you mm-hmm. buy eggs. And you just kind of have to dig a little deeper than that because they could say free range, but maybe the chickens aren't actually leaving the barn type of thing, you know? So there's a lot of things to look into and I don't want to overwhelm people, but sometimes going the extra step and learning it once you'll know for every time you go into the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, with seafood, actually, that was a different one because you don't really hear much about that all the time, but you can also find labels for seafood, like the Marine Stewardship Council, the MSC, and they evaluate fish population to prevent overfishing. They manage the fisheries and they ensure the minimization of the environmental impact. So there's a lot of cool things you can do. You can also look, (laughs) this is a lot of information. I'm sorry for everyone. (laughs) (laughs) It's great. But um, you can also look at the Environmental Defense Fund, the EDF, Seafood Selector Online, because they give like a a really cool screenshot of what the most eco-friendly seafood is at the moment to make sure, again, that you're not overfishing um, whatever fish is out there. So awesome. Yeah, it's really, really cool. So lots of lots of different options out there that you can look for. Oh, yeah, I love it. What was that last resource again? The last one was the Environmental Defense Fund uh, Seafood Selector. All right. Check it out. Good to know. Yeah. Uh, A bit of a pivot here. The organic versus conventional food production debate. We know we all know it's longstanding. How do these practices, in fact, impact us food sustainability for the planet? Yeah. So one thing that I kind of recently learned is that organic doesn't necessarily mean sustainable. They usually go hand in hand because if people are trying to obtain that organic stamp of approval, then they are trying to take that extra step. But the USDA certified organic foods have to you have to follow strict guidelines to obtain that. So they're looking at soil quality, animal raising practices, pest and weed control, and the use of additives. And when you think about sustainability, that involves more water, waste, energy efficiency, um, the treatment of people, for example. You know, I always bring up the triple bottom line, people, planet, and prosperity. So a lot of these things can all overlap with each other. Um, But there's so many farms that don't go for that, quote, organic label, but they're very sustainable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's um, it's a huge debate. And, uh, you know, in the nutrition world, we are so often just trying to help people lead a healthier life. And yeah, I don't want to misquote the statistic, but there was something that came out somewhat recently that was along the lines of about $1.50 more a day per person in the household to eat, quote unquote, healthier. You know, there wasn't a whole lot of detail around what healthier means. Uh, Mm -hmm. But if you multiply that by a family of four and multiply that by seven days a week, you know, 30 days a month, or, you know, four weeks a month, whatever it is, I mean, it it does add up. And, um, you know, a lot of debates around that. And organics are more expensive is where I was going with that. I'm sorry. But um, also, too, just you know, a lot of times conventional farmers will say, how do you feed the world with organics? And 
just all yeah. of those little debates, it, it can it can get very dicey very quickly. Uh, and there's so many angles with which to to really go with that. And uh, I just thought it would be interesting to hear about, you know, from the sustainability standpoint. Um, For sure. So next question, do you know if sustainability is at least in part a reason as to why consumers are more receptive today to more processed foods? And I think of actually uh, the Beyond Meat and, and some of that also meat and dairy alternatives. You know, the Beyond has just blown up and now right. a lot of people are saying, but it's highly, highly processed. So mm-hmm. it seems like there's a bit of a shift in the consumer market that may be more accepting of that processed food because as as we learned, it's probably more sustainable. Yeah. I mean, as we know, Americans in particular eat a lot of processed foods. And I think what it comes down to is just balance. You know, you don't want to overeat processed foods. Um, you want to have your, I don't know, your greens, as they say, and just make sure you're eating your fruits and veggies. Um, but I think this is definitely a good alternative to the meat and dairy, especially, and it's especially making uh, consumers more receptive to it. So I do think it is a reason. And I I looked up the stat. It was a 2019 Washington Post poll that found eight in 10 Americans believe in believe that human activity is fueling climate change. And I know that's one of those, you know, very politicized topics. But um, as we mentioned, Beyond Meat and the Impossible Burger are trying hard to mimic the taste of meat while not being as demanding on our Earth's resources. Um And also going back to my example with almond milk, you know, it's not much of emissions, but it does require a lot of water. Um, And then I've heard of this new oat milk. Maybe it's not new, but it's new to me. Yep. Becoming more popular because it definitely requires less resources than all of the other milks. So I think if these options are more easily accessible and talked about, people are going to be more willing to try them even if they're not the top environmentalists out there. And again, it, it goes back to balance. You don't want to eat all processed foods, but if you're looking to decrease your emissions, your personal emissions, this is a great way to do it. Oh, interesting. I learned oat milk, huh? I would, any other non-dairy uh, milk alternatives that you came across that and kind of where they may stack in um, you environmental know, friendliness? I, I've heard of other milks that people are using. I really, I can't think of them at the moment. Um, I just know these ones are like the major ones that really stand out to me as mm-hmm. far as you've got your dairy, your uh, oat and the almond milk. Um, I think a lot of people are just trying to figure out what they can use that still tastes good that, you know, doesn't use as much resources and doesn't produce a lot of emissions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Almond milk is wildly popular and oat is gaining popularity so quickly. Those are two important yeah. ones for people to know about. Awesome. Learning more. So <laughs> most consumers say we need to find a way to meet nutritional needs with fewer resources, such as energy, water, or carbon. What are some ways that the food industry is is responding to this, this kind of mental shift of consumers? So I'd say the big one is the education of food. So like your podcast um, and everything we've touched on today. Mm -hmm. So that just the education aspect is becoming more and more mainstream. And 
as we know, everything starts with education. And so then you've got the other things we've talked about, the meat alternatives, Beyond Meat and Impossible, um, which I think they, you know, they're not 100% perfect as far as mimicking beef, but I think at least one of them, I don't know which company in particular, they're claiming to be like 75% of the way there. And I don't know. Have you tried one yet? I have. I think they're fantastic. Have you? Yeah, I I really like them. Yeah, I've tried, you know, just the kind that you can get from the supermarket mm-hmm. and we've gotten the crumbles. So if you're making a spaghetti meat sauce and you use their meat alternative, basically, to me, it tastes the same. I can't tell when you're putting other stuff with it. Yep. Um, but so anyway, that's like that's the game changer there that they're trying to even improve upon that. Um, I've heard of work going on with lab grown meat to Mm -hmm. reduce the emissions and resource needs. I don't know really what the status is of that. And I don't know how people will feel about lab grown meat. Um, So I guess that's TBD, (laughs) but then there's also newer innovative ways to farm. I actually just had a podcast episode about vertical hydroponic farming, and this particular episode took place in the middle of Detroit. So you don't think of farming in big cities, but it's happening. So that's really cool. And then local farmers see the impacts of a changing climate and many of them are very good about incorporating new innovative ways to reduce their impact. So they're doing a great job. And so there's just so much going on out there. We could probably go on for days. Yeah, I love it. That's the vertical farming seems to be growing in popularity. I mean, land space is limited and especially if you're Mm -hmm. in a more urban area, there's no other way to go but up. So Exactly. And I I asked them, I'm like, do you think this is the farming of the future? And they said that they believe it's a piece of it. And I like that because it, again, goes back to the balance where you have to have your traditional farming as well as stuff like this to go hand in hand and feed us. So it's great. Mm -hmm. You like beer, right? Oh my God. Is that a question? It makes me think of hops, you know, where we yeah. live, you can't drive five miles without seeing a hop farm. And yeah, I mean, hops are grown vertically and they're, they're just the coolest looking, you know, it's a plant, right? I mean, if that sounds weird, exactly. but yeah, it's a plant and it's, it's just crazy around us. The hop farms are everywhere. We live in a very uh, robust craft beer area, yeah. little corner of the world that it's amazing. Yeah. Cool people appreciate it. They should all come and visit Southwest Michigan. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so if you were to give us like three basic changes that households can make to positively impact sustainability practices with regard to food, food storage or food waste, what would you what would you recommend? So, man, there's a lot of really okay, good you tips can give us more there. than three if you want. <laughs> <laughs> so. One big one that I think helps a lot is meal planning and prepping. And to be honest, I'm not great at this. I'm trying to get better. But this helps you minimize food waste and often keeps you eating healthier, especially if you're able to make a plan and you actually prep it ahead of time. You're more likely to stick to that plan rather than, you know, it's five o'clock or six. I guess I I eat like a grandma. I'm at like at 5 p.m. But (laughs) like if it's 7 p.m., let's say, and you're starving instead of ordering a giant pizza, you'll have your meal there and you'll actually eat what you have. So 
that's a huge one that I think people can implement. Um, we mentioned already composting, and I think that's one that really anyone can do if you're willing to take the time to learn. There's also bigger cities out there, bigger at least compared to us. There's Ann Arbor, Michigan and Grand Rapids that have more industrial composting options for people, which is awesome. So that's a great one to look into. And then another thing we kind of mentioned already is just cutting down on your meat consumption. And you really don't have to be a vegan or even a vegetarian to make a big difference. One thing that we're trying to incorporate is meatless Mondays. And, you know, if you can cut meat out of one day of your week, that does have a huge impact. So you really don't have to go like the crazy option of like just taking it out of your diet completely. You can start small and see where it takes you. Mm -hmm. And you said three, but I'm going to give you a fourth one. Um, <laughs> Bonus. <laughs> exactly. So I think a good one for people to try doing is researching food storage ideas. I recently found a bunch of different uh, ideas for different foods and how you should store them. So like one of the uh, examples that I didn't know beforehand that maybe other people think is common knowledge, it just wasn't for me, is you don't want to store potatoes next to onions because the gases that they emit will cause each other to rot faster. So mm -hmm. if you're trying to maximize the time that you have your food, there's like so many cool ideas out there to prevent them from rotting faster. So cool things to look up. That's a good one. I actually have at work a really nice like fruit and vegetable handout as to where you should store your fruits and vegetables, whether oh, they perfect. should be in the fridge or, you know, pantry or, you know, what room temperature, basically, because yeah. a lot of times people have that a little wrong. So I'm, oh, I sure. will post that in the show notes. That would be that, oh, might be that would be great. People. Yeah. I didn't even realize how much I was doing wrong, to be honest. Like you don't think about it. You just either use the food or it goes bad and you toss it. And yeah. we just kind of have to change our habits. Just even little things after listening to your podcast, you know, bananas are so inexpensive, for example. I never yeah. really think about like how many bananas we're going to eat in a week. I just like grab a bunch and go. Uh, but rather than like tossing that one banana that turns completely brown, I'm like, OK, I should either compost that or chop it up and freeze it for smoothies later. It's it's really just being more intentional about thinking through what's going to happen next. You know, what are what are the exactly. implications of that that action? Because it seems very benign when we're doing it. And yet our world is is needing help from us to to keep it. <laughs> yeah, it's really funny. Like, I feel like, you know, our generation, the, our parents generation, everything's gotten a little faster and we've become a little bit more wasteful. And when you look back at our grandparents generation, they lived through the Great Depression and they used what they truly needed. And so we kind of need to go back to that mindset. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I think it's so interesting to hear, you know, you talk today and, and there's definitely a, a theme of nutrition in a lot of what you said. It's I, I can't help but notice that a lot of things that are good for sustainability are also good for our, our bodies. And yeah, that's really I mean, things like meal planning. I mean, I am militant about it's it's great. And those are things that we talk about on the show and, and really try and instill in others that just to find the value and the beauty in doing these things, uh, right. not only from an ease of life perspective, but also a health perspective. And to learn that it's good for the environment as well is just 
the trifecta of goodness. Um, exactly. <laughs> it also helps you maybe save some money if you're not wasting all your food, you know, like that too. when you're throwing food out, you're throwing your own money out. Mm -hmm. And protein being the most expensive item on, you know, in the grocery store. Oh, that's what I was going to say is a lot of people assume that Americans, especially with the obesity epidemic, that we consume either too much fat or too much carbohydrate. It's always one mm -hmm. of those two, but that is actually untrue. We consume more protein um, as a percentage than fat or carbohydrates as if you're looking at excess, our excess is often okay, coming yeah. from protein. Yeah, um, which I, is I've seen graphs actually where it's like over since like the 1950s, that's just, you know, gone up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's very interesting. Portions of meat is just it's, it's not that 16 ounce T-bone that so many people kind of lust <laughs> after when they go out for, yeah. a, for a dinner meal. We really don't need the amount of meat that we've grown accustomed to eating all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. All right. I have one fun question to kind of wrap us up. I can't All wait right. to hear your answer. Oh, uh, will insects, uh, you mentioned worms and composting, but insects as a edible, sustainable protein source, <laughs> do you think they're going to gain acceptance in the near future? You know, that's a very good question. And to be honest, I really don't know the answer to that. I'll tell you that I'm personally not ready to try eating insects. <laughs> um, but who knows what the future holds? You know, times are changing. Things are changing. And I actually just saw this company. I think they're out in Detroit. I forget the name of them, but they are basically making this powder that's basically ground up insects. And mm -hmm. I, I don't know if they're using it as like a protein powder type thing. Um, but if it if it's something that doesn't look like a grasshopper, maybe I would be more prone <laughs> to try it. I just don't think I could do the fear factor thing and eat an insect yet, but they are definitely high in protein and they require way less resources than livestock. So <laughs> another TBD. I don't know. I can't commit yet. Do your part in the world and eat grasshoppers <laughs> instead of cows. I'm there not you. ready yet. I'm not ready <laughs> no, me either. Totally. <laughs> I'm, I'm not there yet. I'm going to eat more. I'm going to eat my vegetables and, and yeah, same. maybe some poultry ahead of some beef. Yeah, um, there you go. Uh, learned a lot. Well, thank you so much for having us on having. Thank you so much blah, for being on our show and sharing um, all your sustainability knowledge with us. Certainly not a topic that I'm well versed in, but absolutely fascinating. And I've certainly feel led to do my part in living more sustainable, sustainably. And I hope our listeners do uh, as well. So for yeah. those who would love to continue to learn more from you, I'm sure that they do. Can you share with our listeners how they can connect with you on social media and where to locate your show? Yeah. So again, the show's called Sustainability. Me. It's basically sustainability and me. And you can follow us on social media at sustainabilityme.pod. And you can listen on any Apple podcast, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or on the website, which is sustainabilityme.libsyn.com. Awesome. And we will link to all of those places in the show notes as well. Um, anything else, Kelly, before we let you go for the evening? I don't think so. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on the show. Yes, awesome. Well, thank you. And I will see you Sunday for some hockey, hopefully. Yeah, I can't wait. Sounds good. Thanks, Kelly. No problem. Talk to you later. All right, Nina. So tell me, what are your what's your mom win? Favorite new product? What mm -hmm. you got this week? 
All right. So I, I brought out a recipe, an older recipe that I hadn't made in forever. I'm kind of in a lunch packing rut with the kids. It's just that time of year, I guess. Uh, and I'm like, what can I pack in their lunch that they'll both eat? I can't do peanuts or tree nuts at Cameron's uh, school. I can do them at pages, but I want to make something that they can both enjoy that I can put in both their lunches. So I, I kind of went back through my recipes and found this flourless chocolate muffin recipe that I'd made forever ago that I remembered that they loved. Basically, it's just peanut butter, maple syrup, eggs, and cocoa powder. Of course, I use sun butter. I did not use peanut butter. You can't even tell the difference. And the kids love it. I also add chocolate chips to it. I think it's a must, a must make. I would say I actually love them as well. They're just really delicious. I also made the mini version. So instead of putting it in the big muffin tin, I put them in the mini muffin tin. So I put one or two in their lunches every day and it's safe for both of them. Super delicious. They sound rich, are they? Yes, they are definitely rich, but not because they're super sweet. They're just really, they're really uh, chocolatey because they have the chocolate chips and they have that cocoa powder and then that heavy fat sun butter. So I guess, yeah, they're definitely rich, but they're, you know, that's why I made them mini. So you can either have one or two or three oh, and great. it's, they're delicious. So good. Especially nuked in the microwave for about 10 seconds. So good. What about you? Super random. I have been in a, a uh, dinner planning rut, but I made a homemade ramen recipe and it called for bok choy. And I was chopping it up one night and Shay was just eating it off the cutting board raw. And she really liked it. I was like, awesome. Okay. That's not <laughs> typically a vegetable that we eat raw, but okay. And then Piper was so funny that night as she was eating the ramen. She was like, mom, this juice is so good. She's like, mm, Shay, try the juice. It's so good. She is just, she gets into her food and she cracks I me up, it. which the juice <laughs> is the broth, of course. And also um, very timely with our food sustainability topic here today, but I am loving baked tofu. I am so into mm. it. I talked about it like two podcasts ago, but uh, loving baked tofu. So I just you know, press all the liquid out of it, cut it into like three quarter inch cubes, line it on a baking sheet mixed with non-stick cooking spray, sprinkle salt and pepper, and then 400 degrees for like 30 minutes. And it is perfect. That sounds really good. It, and it's so I need to try tofu anything. again. Yeah. I have like, you know, this fear of tofu because of my IBS, but I feel like I need to try it again. I mean, I do every once in a while try it. I need to bring it into my house more and try it with the kids and maybe introduce them to it more often. Cause I do, I mean, tofu is so good and so versatile. That sounds cheap good. and exactly. Yeah. It goes with everything and not a bad price at all and good for you as well. All right. You want to read us a review? <laughs> sure. This one is from C Chang 05. Gina and Nicole have an effortless chemistry that creates easy flow. Even though I wrote floor throughout the whole podcast, there's a ton of useful info on each episode. I have to say, I really like the new product slash recipe segment at the end. Product for me, recipe for you, Nicole. I had always followed Gina's blog for its straightforward and relatable content. And there is even more of that here on the podcast. It's extremely helpful to hear their sensible take on nutrition. And it makes me feel better about the track I'm on. It's not easy feeding a family with young kids, but Gina and Nicole tackle so many of the questions and concerns about nutrition. I highly recommend listening to those out there wanting something that's practical and easy to listen to. That was so nice. Thank you so much. That was great. We want more. We want more. More reviews. Let's let's hear it. <laughs> 
All right. Coming up on March 29th, we will be dishing about postpartum wisdom. I cannot wait for this podcast. Whether (laughs) Whether you've gone through it yourself or you plan to one day, you'll be in for a laugh and or a good cry. Until then, keep in touch with us on social media at Dietitians Dish Podcast on both Facebook and Instagram. And check out all of our episodes and show notes on our website, dietitiansdishpodcast.com. Also, please tell your friends about us. They can find us on numerous outlets such as Overcast, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Pocket Cast. If you listen on iTunes, be sure to leave us a review. We promise it only takes a few seconds and you don't even have to write anything. Honestly, just fill out the stars. All right. Until next time, everyone, be well. And Nicole, we'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon, Gina. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening for the podcast. Bye-bye.